Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. The reading will be from Psalm 34, 11 through 14. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man that desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There used to be a saying, I don't know if I hear it as much these days, but it was kind of a, a maxim, a motto for people who were in business. Sometimes you would hear the phrase, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Maybe that's because this was the world before the internet, uh, when in order to get your name out there of your organization, your group, your team, you had to uh, pay for a billboard or for an ad in a magazine or a newspaper or a commercial. And so the idea was, if people are talking about you, if they're talking about your business or if they're talking about your group, at least your name's getting out there. There's name recognition. Like I said, I don't hear that as much anymore. Today, when we think about publicity or advertising, one of the key words is engagement. How many people are you engaging with? How many viewers does a specific show or a movie engage with? How many people click on a link in a story that they're reading? How many people post a response to something on your social media channel? And maybe an updated version of that statement would be there's no such thing as bad engagement. In other words, it doesn't matter to advertisers. It doesn't matter to a company. If I'm clicking on something because I really like what I'm reading, or if I'm clicking on something because it's made me mad, it's made me frustrated, because I'm upset, because I want to to leave a message on someone's board that said this or did this, and I'm just, I'm so furious, I just have to take action. It doesn't matter to the people who are just counting the clicks, counting the number of viewers, the number of eyeballs. If I'm watching something because it makes me angry and I just sort of want to feed that anger, can you believe they're saying this? It doesn't matter as long as I'm viewing it. There's no such thing as bad engagement in the world we live in today. In fact, I feel like I notice a lot of things out there that are intended not to grab our attention because it's something we like, but intended to sort of create some controversy, to stir some things up, to make me frustrated or angry or upset because then I'll want to find out more. I'll want to click the links. I'll want to do all the things to make sure I'm keeping up with what's happening. It's easy to stir up conflict and dissension in the culture that we live in. There was a video that made the rounds a little while back where it was a little girl playing with her mother and the little girl was wearing a chef's hat and was playing in a kitchen and asked her mother, what do you want to order? And her mother says, I would like to order a little peace and quiet. And the little girl with the chef's hat was kind of standing there and she said, "Uh, we don't sell that. And then gave her some butter instead, because that's what she decided they were going to be playing. And it made the rounds, and it's funny because it's a parent talking to a child, and it's funny because it's a child responding. But it's also funny because 
we have a world that's searching for something, searching for peace, and we're looking around, and it's not being sold anywhere. That's not what we see. What we see is conflict. What we see is dissension. And so it probably shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus is going through this series of characteristics of a blessed life, of someone who is a son or daughter of God, Jesus says that one of the ways your life can be blessed is if you're making peace. Blessed are peacemakers. Peacemakers are going to stand out in our culture today. But it's not just our culture today. In fact, for generations, as long as this passage has been studied, it's been studied by people who are dealing with the world of war and of conflict and of dissension, or even more locally, are dealing with their own conflicts with other people. And so it should get our attention in Matthew 5 and verse 9 when Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And if you've noticed, as we've gone through these Beatitudes, the beginning of the Beatitude will pronounce a blessing, pronounce a, almost a, a congratulations. We're recognizing this is a blessed life. And then the second half of that Beatitude gives us what the reward is. For they shall be called sons of God. To be children of God. To be people who look like their Father. Blessed are peacemakers. Now, as we think about the concept of peace today, there are probably a lot of things that come to our mind. We might think of something peaceful if it's very quiet. But we know that even just being quiet, that doesn't always indicate peace. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you've been maybe in a car, you're on a drive somewhere, someplace you can't really escape, and then there's just sort of silence in the car? You know, there, there, there might be silence... But is there really peace, right? Has, has anything been resolved? It's not just about silence. It's not even just about ending of hostilities. You can have countries that might technically be at peace with each other. They're not warring with each other. But that doesn't mean there's no conflict there. And so as we try to think about what Jesus meant when he described the kind of peace that we're called to help create, it helps us to reflect on the concept that would have been prevalent in the first century, especially in Jesus' context of Judaism, the Hebrew term shalom. You may have heard it before, described as, as a greeting, a Hebrew greeting of peace. But the idea of shalom as peace is not just an absence of hostilities or these two countries aren't really at war. It's a sense of wholeness. In fact, I like the way... One author described it, Frederick Bruner worded it this way, it's communal well-being in every direction, every way we can think of. It's well-being between me and others, it's well-being between me and God, it's all around, radiating around me is this communal well-being. It's that kind of peace that we read about when we read that term in Scripture. And again, we can look all we'd like to in our culture, but no one's selling that. There's no source of that. If there was a source in our culture that gave us lasting peace, we probably would have found it by now, but we continue to search. And so I want us just to think this morning about this kind of peace, this kind of shalom, well-being in every different direction. And hopefully as we do that, we'll reflect on the peace that God has initiated and that we're called 
to continue to share. So let's think in the first direction. Let's think vertically. Peace between God and ourselves. There's another time that we see this term for making peace used in a verbal form. Now, we read about peace a lot in the New Testament. But there's another time we see the action of making peace in verbal form, and that's in Colossians chapter 1. And notice the way in which Paul describes this peacemaking. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, speaking of Christ, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The sweeping statement reminds us that it was God's pleasure, that it was God's choice for the fullness of God to dwell in Christ and also through Him to reconcile everyone. All would be reconciled through the blood on the cross. That's how Jesus makes peace. When He tells people, blessed are the peacemakers, He's calling us to follow His example. This is what He did. He made peace. We're following Christ's example when we do that. In fact, the titles that Jesus is given remind us of His role as Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 would say. Even from the entrance into the world, when you have angels rejoicing, they're rejoicing because of the peace that He brings. Luke chapter 2, on earth peace among men. And the New Testament goes into even greater detail. We read at the beginning of our worship time, Ephesians chapter 2, that we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created for good works, and the rest of that chapter paints a picture of what Jesus does. The separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles, Jesus tears down that wall of separation. He makes peace. It probably would be hard for us to imagine the level of animosity, the level of separation that would have existed between the Jews and the Gentiles, and Paul's saying, Jesus makes that kind of peace possible. And so when we think about peacemaking, we serve the one who gives us the ultimate example of that. And so I need to ask myself, as a Christian, as one who's modeling myself after Jesus, am I seeking to be a peacemaker? Now, obviously, we don't have the ability that Paul's described Jesus having of being able to make peace. So in that sense, to be the source of, of well-being, God is the only one who can provide that lasting peace. But as His body, as His people, we have the opportunity to bring that peace to others. And so when we think about making peace between God and ourselves, we understand that it's because of God we can have it, but we've got to participate in it. We've, we've got to be willing to submit ourselves to His will, to become part of that. If my goal as a Christian is to make peace, then the converse of that is my goal is to resist sowing division. When we flip through the pages of the Old Testament, and we get to the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs describes seven things that God hates. A list which, by the way, includes murder, shedding innocent blood. One of those things is sowing division. That if I'm wanting to make peace, I need to take very seriously what happens if I start sowing division. If I start spreading strife 
and division. If I do that, I'm doing the opposite of what God wants. So if I have peace between God and me, then my goal is to continue in that peace and not to sow division. Satan loves it when we get caught up in things that are negative and things that would draw away from the unity of God's people. And so we're reminded in Scripture, we don't want to do that. I want to make peace between God and myself. I want there to be peace, and I want that to be reflected in the world around me. Uh, There's an old Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon where Lucy shows up and she says, I hate everybody. I hate everything. I hate the whole world. And Charlie Brown says, I thought you had inner peace. And she replies, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Now, maybe you've met some people that claim to have inner peace, but outer obnoxiousness. And so we're called to, if I've got, if there's peace that's been made between God and me, that peace is going to start on the inside, but it's going to flow out to everyone. It's not just about making peace between God and myself. That's the first step. That's the initial step. That's absolutely necessary. But once I've done that, now I've got other responsibilities. We've got peace in every direction. And another responsibility is peace between God and others. Can I share the peace that I've received and show it to other people and point other people to the way? It's going to be hard for me to do that if I've got outer obnoxiousness. It's going to be hard for me to do that if they can't see the peace that I have. But I love the way Isaiah 52 describes individuals who bring good news. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Now let's just take this passage for a moment and think about the contrast between the competing sources of peace today. If I'm walking through a bookstore, if I'm scrolling online and trying to find a source of peace, it's usually going to be something that comes from within me or something if you look within yourself, if you do this. But Scripture is saying the good news of peace and happiness doesn't come from within. It comes from God. It comes from saying your God reigns salvation. That's our source of true peace and happiness. And if that's the source, then we're going to want to share that with others. It's good to see the feet of people who are bringing good news. And we've got that kind of good news. Christ has broken down the dividing wall. There can now be peace. As difficult as things can be, and in a world that's full of conflict, it doesn't have to remain that way. We can have peace. And even later in the Sermon on the Mount, I I think Jesus gives us some guidance into how to share that kind of peace with others. Notice what happens later in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. We read this last week, thinking about mercy, but I think it relates here as well. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the just and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Did you notice the end of that statement? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven? What's the end result of those who make peace? That they'll be sons of God. What's the end result of those who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven? When we make peace 
When we share that peace, we're following the example God has given us. And we know what it's like to, to put Christ on in baptism and therefore to be children of God in that sense. But think about the fact that as Jesus is saying this, He's using it in a way that anticipates what would happen when someone becomes a Christian, but that hasn't happened yet. We haven't had the day of Pentecost. We haven't had Acts chapter 2. When He describes being sons of God, He's using it in a way that would have been very familiar to those who read the Hebrew Bible, who talked about the children, children of Israel, being children of God. If they're sons of God, they reflect on who their master is. Sometimes we look at children and we're able to see some resemblance, family resemblance. And we say, you remind me of your mother. You remind me of your father. And I used to wonder, as a kid when I was growing up, it seemed like every time I would talk to someone who knew my parents, they would always kind of make comments like that. I don't wonder about that anymore because now when I do things like the summer when I go to Horizons at Fried Hardeman and we've got students there at Horizons who are children of friends of mine, I'm always thinking, oh, you remind me of your father. You remind me of your mother. There's something about that. Jesus is saying if we share the peace we have between ourselves and God with others, then we'll resemble the one we're modeling ourselves after. We'll remind them of our father. Now, here's the challenge if we're going to share peace between God and others. We're going to have to be transparent, and we're going to have to be honest. Some have said that the gospel has to be bad news before it can be good news. In other words, you have to know that sin is an issue. You have to know that sin is a problem. You have to understand the depths of our need for God before you can really understand the power of His peace. So in a world that would just as soon dismiss the effects of sin or minimize what sin can do in our lives, we have to be willing to say, no, it is an issue. This is serious. Sin is not just an issue. It's the issue. It's the problem. And so I can't minimize it away or say it doesn't matter or say, well, that's just some people's personality and everyone can have their own way of looking at things. I have to be willing to say, no, this is a problem. And it's a problem we can't solve without the peace of God. If I want to share that peace, I'm going to have to be honest about the reality of sin. And in order to fully appreciate the peace that God provides, I'm also going to have to be honest about the depths of God's love. To be honest about how deeply God cares for us. How far His mercy extends. So that people who realize the reality of sin and the problem of sin and the weight of their guilt can know that when they come to God, there's a peace that passes all understanding that God can and will and desires to provide that level of forgiveness. These are truths we're going to have to share to make peace between God and others. But if we're going to have peace in every direction, then we're also going to have to peace, have peace between ourselves and others. And this is a tough part, isn't it? This is the reality. This is where the rubber meets the road and we have human beings getting along with other human beings. And yet we're constantly reminded of our desire all throughout Scriptures to make peace. Lane read for us earlier from the Psalms. How does the psalmist describe someone who's living a life God wants to live? That person seeks peace and pursues it. That it's active. That it doesn't just happen by accident. 
there are some things that we can do in life without really thinking much about it. Uh, we typically breathe, we typically blink, we kind of go through life, and we don't have to think much about that. But there are some things in life that if we want it to happen, we're going to have to take the initiative. And seeking peace is going to take our initiative. Think about the way Paul describes it to the church in Rome in Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now that, that is just acknowledging the fact that sometimes it doesn't depend on us. Sometimes I can do everything possible and I still won't be able to be at peace with someone because of their actions. But Paul says you're responsible as far as it depends on you to be at peace with others. A couple of chapters later, he would say, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. It's not just going to happen naturally. You're going to have to pursue those things. You're going to have to take the step. James 3 says, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And towards the end of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, the setting apart, without which no one will see the Lord. How are we set apart if we're pursuing peace with all men? Being peacemakers. Now there's a challenge for us as we think about what that requires. The challenge is because it might be easy to say, okay, if I want to be a peacemaker, I guess that means I should just never disagree with somebody. As long as they say something, I just kind of go along with everything. Well, remember, when we follow the example of a peacemaker, we're following the example of Jesus. And Jesus certainly did not go along with whatever anyone said. How many times when the Pharisees say or do something that's inconsistent with the will of God, does Jesus stand up and say, wait a minute, that's not right. We need to understand this. So being a peacemaker doesn't mean I just kind of go with the flow and just take whatever anyone says, and I don't ever want to upset anyone. I don't ever want to stand up for anything, just kind of appease everybody. That's not the peacemaking model that Jesus gives us. And it's not the kind of peace that God calls us to because the kind of peace that God calls us to has to be honest and consistent with His Word. There are times when it won't be dependent on us to be at peace with other people. There were times in the book of Acts when the apostles were persecuted simply because they were proclaiming Jesus and they were told an easy way to stop this an easy way to stop the conflict, if you want to have peace, just stop preaching Jesus. Well, that wasn't a possibility. That option wasn't on the table. And so then there was conflict. And tradition tells us, if we look through the lives of the apostles, that apostles lost their lives, that they were martyrs simply because they weren't going to back down when someone threatened violence for them to renounce their faith. They were going to stand up. So making peace doesn't just mean I'm going to say whatever it takes to keep everybody happy. That's not true peace. That's not real wholeness. Making peace will sometimes be uncomfortable. It's not peace at any price. It sometimes means we're going to go against what our culture says. We're going to do things that kind of are countercultural because we're holding on to the message of God. Sometimes it means I'm going to have to swallow my pride and I'm going to have to sit down with someone. And I'm going to have to have a conversation that won't be fun for me. Because it'll be about me admitting something I've done wrong. But I want to make peace. In Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about resolving conflicts 
And he talks about going to the person who has something against you. Those are not fun conversations to have. Those are not enjoyable, and yet they're necessary if I want to be a peacemaker. Be willing to swallow my pride and to take my, my opinions and say, maybe my opinions don't matter as much as I think they do. Not the truth. The truth always matters. I stand up for that. But when it's something that I have, I need to be willing to put others first. And by the way, our, our culture today doesn't help us with this at all. It doesn't model or reward peacemakers. Usually the ones we read about are the ones who can stand up and have the best comment, release you know, a, 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 a statement that is not only funny, but maybe it cuts somebody else down. And then you go back and forth and we follow online or we follow in the news and we see what people are saying to other people. That's, that's kind of the world we live in. Jesus calls us to stand out and to make peace between others and ourselves. And so it may be that the world around us exalts people who can fight and insult each other and whoever can do it best. Sometimes we even enjoy it, secretly or not so secretly. We enjoy the conflict. And yet Jesus reminds us to make peace. One of Jesus' apostles was Simon the Zealot. And the zealots in the first century were convinced that the best way to stand up against Roman occupation was to sort of foment revolution, to encourage people to physically fight against Rome. In fact, some of those, those physical conflicts result in AD 70 in a battle against Rome and the destruction of Jerusalem from the Roman Empire. I mean, there was a lot that was going on there. I can imagine Simon listening to Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, and thinking, wait a minute, the answer to this is physical. The answer to this is to settle it in our own terms. And Jesus says, we're trying to seek and to make peace with others. Peacemaking can be painful. And it doesn't always mean peace at any cost. It doesn't mean I don't stand up for what's right, that I don't defend the truth, that I don't defend others. But it does mean there are times I've got to sacrifice my own ego, my own desires, and then I'm going to have to be willing to put others first. That's not easy. It's a challenge for us. And if it's so hard, then why would it, why would it be worth it? I mean, if putting up with other people was just was just so difficult and so hard. I mean, why, at some point, don't we just want to say, you know, I don't really need to be involved uh, in, in relationships in the church. I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't really want to connect with others because it's just so difficult. And then we think about what we've already read in Ephesians chapter 2, that God sent His Son in order to create peace among us. If peace among the people of God is worth God sending His Son, then it's worth whatever discomfort or whatever challenges might come my way when I want to be a peacemaker. As we read through the pages of Scripture, we know, I especially think of the book of Romans when you get there, that uh, we serve and uh, serve our nation and our governments, and there are times when governments will be in conflict. There are times when there'll be, there'll be wars and there'll be conflicts, but we also know that even though that's a reality, and that's, that's life that, as a reality of life that we see, we also know that our goal, our desire, is for there to be peace. And sometimes it doesn't always depend on us. 
But Jesus says if we go through life as peacemakers, that we'll be blessed. So let's just think through this level of of wholeness uh, in every direction. This morning, is there peace between you and God? Is there peace in your relationship with God? Is Is it what it needs to be or is there something that needs to be different? We've already read about the way in which Jesus destroys all barriers for all people in the cross. And how Scripture says we can become part of that one family. We can become part, become children of God. It's when we come to Him and turn our lives around, submit to His will, confess Jesus as Lord, and begin the life of serving Him. Put Christ on in baptism. And that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. That's where it begins. That's where we start to serve as part of that family. Think about the peace between God and others. Is there someone in your life that you could share your faith with this week? Is there a conversation you could have? Is there a way you could sit down with someone and say, hey, I notice things have been pretty rough lately. Maybe there's something you're going through. Can I tell you what has really helped me? Here's the peace that I've found. Maybe that's a challenge for this week. Or think about peace between ourselves and others. Maybe there's a conversation that needs to be had, and it needs to be had this week. Something that needs to be ironed out. Something that needs to be fixed and adjusted. We're all human beings. We're all imperfect. So our relationships are going to be imperfect. Maybe there's a time I'm going to have to have that tough conversation. It may be that you could use encouragement and prayer. Right after our worship service, out this doorway, a couple of our shepherds uh, will be there in a room where you can sit down and, and pray with them privately. But it may be that the process of making peace would be best served by you sharing with the whole church family. It is a true blessing to have access to a peace that passes all understanding. And we would love to talk with you more about that if you have questions. If you'd like to put Christ on in baptism, if we could pray for you, if we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing together.